Welcome back to Corey M, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Bree C, here with Joe Offenbacher. Hey Bree, so I don't know about you, but I've started seeing more people coming to the ER with sore throats and fever as it's been getting colder. Yeah, same here. And while most sore throats we're seeing in the ED are probably just good old viral pharyngitis, as EM docs, we have to always at least consider the rare but deadly causes. Right. So how about today we talk about one of those rare but deadly causes, Ludwig's angina? Sold. Huh, okay. So, to start off though, who was this guy or gal Ludwig anyway? You mean the German Dr. Wilhelm Frederick von Ludwig? He published a paper on the condition in 1836 and was actually the royal family's chief physician. The term angina comes from the Latin and Greek words for choking and strangling, which makes sense given the sensation that patients feel with this condition. Very cool. I didn't know that. Now I get why angina chest pain gets its name. But back to the neck. Okay, so Joe, what exactly is Ludwig's angina? Ludwig's is essentially a horrible infection of the floor of the mouth. The infection affects the deep tissues of the submandibular space, which includes the sublingual and submylohyoid spaces. That sounds terrifying. It really is. Not only because it's incredibly aggressive and spreads rapidly, but because it can go from kind of scary to a true airway emergency. Exactly. I think part of why it spreads so rapidly is because of all the connective tissue in the constrained space of the floor of the mouth. Technically, to be classified as Ludwig's, the infection must be bilateral and involve both the submylohyoid and sublingual spaces. The sublingual space communicates with the second and third mandibular molar teeth, so it's not surprising that these teeth are the most common cause. Okay, so you're saying that most cases of Ludwig's begin with underlying dental infections? Yeah, dental infections cause about 80-90% to 90% of cases. However, Ludwig's can also come from any other nidises in that space, including parapharyngeal abscess, mandibular fracture, oral trauma or piercings, or submandibular salivary stones. Does that mean that most of these infections are caused by oral flora? Absolutely, which makes sense. Most of the time, these infections are polymicrobial. However, bacteria such as Peptostreptococcus, Fusobacterium, pigmented bacterioides and actinomyces are the most common players. One particular virulent strain is Streptococcus anginosus. Okay, anything else about the pathophysiology and anatomy, Joe, before we move on? One last thing. As you mentioned before, the connective tissue in the floor of the mouth contributes to the rapid spread of Ludwig's. It's also important to remember that due to the anatomy of the floor of the mouth and its communication with the retropharyngeal spaces, Ludwig's can rapidly progress and even come to include the mediastinum. Dear Lord, I mean, I tell my two-year-old at night that we have to brush his teeth to get the sugar bugs out, but this takes it to a whole other level. Haha, <laughs> just tell him you're preventing Ludwig's. Okay, makes sense. Patients may just say my throat hurts though, so always keep this on your differential. Alarm bells obviously just really go off with oropharyngeal pain, drooling, inability to tolerate their own secretions, nuchal rigidity, and dysphagia. This may subsequently be followed by trismus, generally a sign of the infection that has already started spreading to the pharyngeal spaces and voice changes. If they haven't developed these alarm symptoms or just don't tell you about them, make sure to ask if they are experiencing any of them because patients sometimes don't know what to mention, as with all HPIs. With advanced Ludwigs, we may see signs of true airway compromise, such as respiratory distress, stridor, and cyanosis. Obviously things we want to avoid. So, while well, you should have a very high index of suspicion in patients with underlying immunocompromised states, remember that Ludwig's can happen to anyone. 
So I'm hearing that Ludwig's patients can present early on in the spectrum with just sore throat to struggling to breathe. Let's talk specifics about the physical exam. So one thing I do with every single patient who complains of mouth, teeth, throat, tongue, anything, is I ask them to lift their tongue so I can examine underneath. If they can't, then I'll use a tongue depressor or my glove to gently elevate their tongue. This is besides the usual throat exam of the uvula, palate, and tonsils, looking for symmetry, swelling, erythema, exudates, and mobility, as well as inspecting the teeth for caries, gum for abscesses, and neck for adenopathy or rigidity. If somebody has the double tongue sign, where their sublingual space is already swollen and elevated, it can look like they actually have two tongues. Great tips. Concerning findings on exam would be symmetric and woody induration, sometimes with palpable crepitus in the submandibular area. Another classic sign is elevation of the tongue and the floor of the oropharynx. But again, these are advanced signs. Feel the sublingual space for tenderness and induration. Lymphadenopathy is usually not present in these patients, but it's not particularly specific or sensitive. Does imaging have any role in this diagnosis? Definitely. CT neck with IV contrast is the modality of choice. It can show soft tissue thickening, loss of fat planes in the submandibular space, focal fluid collections, and muscle edema. One particularly concerning finding is the bubble sign, which means there are gas bubbles within the soft tissue. Some sources report that CT with IV contrast has a 95% sensitivity and only a 53% specificity. But when combined with high pretest probability based on history and exam, sensitivity can approach 80%. A super important pearl though is, if you have a patient with advanced Ludwigs based on history and clinical exam, think twice before sending them directly to lie down and CT. As with all our patients, we want to try our best to avoid unstable patients crashing in the scanner. You should consider securing an airway in high-risk patients prior to imaging or before transfer. Absolutely. Anyone with suspected Ludwig should be on very close airway precautions. Sitting up, reliable IV access, NPO, intubation, and backup intubation, as well as crack equipment at the bedside, and anesthesia called if possible. Yeah, and if you happen to have a large emergency room, make sure that this patient is directly in front of you so that you can watch them the whole time. So in these cases where impending airway obstruction is of concern, a wake fiber optic or modified sequence induction technique should be considered. Also, these patients will understandably be very scared and terrified, so make sure you let them and any family members know that intubation may possibly happen. Very true. And these are the cases that you want to plan for surgical airway ahead of time before making any airway attempts. Follow your institution's protocols for surgical airway, but marking the neck, having your kit at the bedside, and talking through plans A, B, and C with your ED team are crucial. Okay, so let's say we have a patient who's 96% on room air, but with fever, mild sublingual swelling, and a bubble sign on CT neck. What's the next step here? So besides aggressive airway monitoring, resuscitation is needed, Early initiation of broad-spectrum antibiotics, IV steroids, and ENT anesthesia consultation are the main tools. What I mean by resuscitation is IV fluids, oxygen, and pain control. Some docs throw a nebulized epi. You'll hopefully have already drawn labs too, including cultures, VBG, chemistry, and CBC. Given that Ludwigs is often polymicrobial, we can start off with a penicillin with a beta-lactamase inhibitor such as Unison, or beta-lactamase-resistant antibiotics such as cefiroxime, imipenem, meropenem. Throw in clinda or flagell for anaerobic coverage. Hopefully, you've gotten ENT on board early, but these patients should be evaluated for whether debridement or abscess drainage is needed. Not all Ludwigs need surgical intervention, but ENT needs to take a look at the CT and the patient as well. Right. And finally, anybody with Ludwigs needs to be monitored, preferably in an ICU. 
They can decompensate rapidly, so you want to watch them while antibiotics and resuscitation are on board, and hopefully working their magic. Okay, ready to do some take-home points? Sure, I'll, I'll start us off. So one, Ludwig's angina is an often rapidly progressing bilateral infection of the submandibular space. Two, have a high index of suspicion in patients with underlying comorbid conditions, but at least keep it in mind for anybody who comes in with sore throat. Three, lift everybody's tongue. It's easy to diagnose when they have woody in duration or a double tongue, but it's the early presenters that are particularly tricky. And lastly, airway, airway, airway. Don't forget modified induction techniques and make sure you have a backup plans set up and discussed with your team. Call ENT and anesthesia early. Great. Well, that's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit us on our website, coreem.net. Thanks for listening and stay safe, everybody.